So I recorded Model Rail Radio Show 150 yesterday. It was two recording sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, evening. And on the evening session, Skype blocked me actually from re-entering the call. So the last hour and a half is just participants jamming associated with Model Rail Radio. It was an interesting experience because I knew that there were upper limits with regards to Skype calls. I just recalled that they were in the order of 25, not in the order of 15. But it turns out you can only have 15 participants on modern Skype, which makes Model Rail Radio a very interesting proposition. And it it indicates to me quite strongly that I've just been incredibly lucky not to be kicked off a Skype call that I was hosting up until this point. It was a combination of issues, internet issues here and a variety of other things. But once I got off the Skype call, there was no way I was getting back on. It was just blocked to me, which was very curious. But it also gave me an opportunity to think very dynamically associated with what I'm trying to do with some of these communities. Now, I do lament a lot of the stuff that I do through Long Funk, primarily because I'm constantly thinking about ways of improving things and frustrated by what is now actually slowly being recognized as a substantial commercial conglomerate that is actively seeking to repress any independent content. I think that's actually a really good sign that people are slowly, very slowly, cottoning onto this fact that uh, actually... The scales are very heavily tipped in one direction with regards to providing and producing independent content. And this is a narrative which is currently going on through YouTube primarily as independent creators are realizing, hold it, wait, something's very strange here. Why is it that, uh, you know, television shows, television show personalities, people with validated accounts, verified old media are getting an increasingly large slice of the pie particularly associated with getting active eyeballs, like getting folks actively looking at stuff and their trending and what have you through YouTube. So this has been in my experience for a long period of time doing what I do with independent media. And obviously through the whole business with the idiot and noble ape, you get a very strong sense that so much of this stuff is paid for and paid for in a very curious way. So I come to Model Rail Radio Show 150 with the thought that what I'm doing here is ultimately creating and maintaining and nurturing a community and doing it through the way that I've created this thing, doing it through the way that I've created various aspects of this community and actively and passively nurturing things in this community in a variety of different directions. Now, you might think, well, that's just crazy. It's just an audio podcast, right? Well, it is in part, but the way in which you create the audio podcast, the way in which you frame the discussion... I think actually creates the audio podcast in the community. There are now maybe half a dozen, hopefully soon close to a dozen model rail podcasts that are out there. They all have different participants. They all have different formats, different, you know, methodologies behind them. And I think what's, I find particularly curious and interesting, actually interesting over curious is that of these podcasts, they all have, uh, you know, found a niche for a variety of different listeners. It's like, the notion that there's a finite number of listeners and more podcasts out there are going to cause problems with this, mm, not really my experience with Model Rail Radio. So show 150 was a good opportunity to gather together a group of folk, including people like Chris Abbott, who I haven't spoken to for a number of years. My hope is that I'll be able to get Chris Abbott onto my rules better uh, because he does have some standing experience with regards to role-playing game rules, but also uh, he is recently, I mean, the reason he's not on Model Rail Radio primarily is because he's reinvigorated his interest in role-playing games. So that was an interesting opportunity to talk with Chris Abbott. We had a couple of callers who I haven't spoken to for quite some time, 
know, filling in the gaps of what's gone on with their lives. And yeah, it was a nice experience. I think these shows come around, obviously, <laughs> you need to record 50 more podcasts or 49 more podcasts before you get to another one of these shows. But, you know, in the process of recording podcasts, you do learn quite a bit associated with what inspires and what assists with a community to celebrate various aspects of the community. And I think when I reflect on things like Attic Aficionados, Stone Ape to a lesser extent, certainly the stuff that I did with Biota and Bruce Damer, these were communities that ultimately required or were dependent on other folks' contributions. And when those other folks' contributions fell away, the communities unfortunately fell away. With Model Rail Radio, I know that there is such a community, such a large community, that if various individual players, you know, no longer participate, and Chris Abbott was a co-host. I mean, he was a co-host just as much as, uh, you know, Attic Aficionados had a co-host. So it's interesting to see that in these circumstances, with a variety of different folks getting involved, it was actually very easy to maintain the community even after quite a, a celebrated co-host departed the recordings. So I even flow in two minds with this thing. I mean, on one side, I'm not actively seeking collaborators. On the other side, maybe I need to seek a lot of collaborators. Maybe I need to learn from Model Rail Radio and realize that for things like No Blate, I need to actively go out and try to recruit folks to participate in this thing. And perhaps, well, how do you frame it? I mean, that was the success of Model Rail Radio was the framing was what got people involved with No Blate. Maybe it's a problem of framing. I mean, the terminology, the words, these kind of things, problematic. Model Rail Radio immediately says on the packet what it does. So, yeah, that's easy for people to understand in some you know, quick find, yes, something that I want to listen to. But I think also there's a problem which we discussed on the show associated with what has happened with podcasts. And what I find particularly fascinating now is that there's a, there was a podcast that was like, you know, these variety shows where people win prizes, um, America's Got Talent, this kind of stuff. So they did a podcast version of that and they got 5,000 initial entries. I think they were almost exclusively US-based entries. But 5,000 initial entries. And of that, you know, they selected down to finalists and, uh, you know, down to a single winner. I didn't actually follow that recording because firstly, I didn't know about it until after the fact. It's interesting because it was a Gimlet Media podcast. I do listen to some Gimlet Media podcasts, but they obviously don't promote their podcasts universally through it. So we spent quite a bit of time on the show last night talking about what has changed with podcasts. In fact, it was the recording in the morning. And the movement for a lot more US-based podcasts, certainly a greater listenership of podcasts in the US. This is the one substantial change in demographics that I've noticed. Historically, about 50 to 60% of my listeners were based in the US. Now for Model Rail Radio, it's about 75% of the listeners. So that's actually quite a large demographic shift. And certainly talking with UK participants uh, yesterday morning... I raise the fact that the UK hasn't embraced podcasts like the US has embraced podcasts, or not the same number of folk. I mean, obviously, the US has a vastly larger population, so you need only a smaller shift to actually gain more and more numbers. But just the way in which podcasts are framed in the US is pretty omnipresent. People know what they are. Whereas, as was noted in the recording yesterday, the UK hasn't really done the same thing associated with promotion. Now, in the US, it was because of the commercial spin-offs of NPR. The commercial spin-offs of NPR this American life into Gimlet Media, these kind of companies have created a lot of publicity associated with informing the public what a podcast is about, things like serial, obviously ways of informing the public that podcasts are here to stay and they're a valid form of media. 
So, you know, what I found interesting through the discussion on the show 150 was that I only have little smatterings of information. I collect information from a variety of different sources, but I do it in a somewhat haphazard fashion. I mean, recording podcasts is my hobby rather than my job. But even through those smatterings of information, and I have two comparing stats programs now. I have Apple's podcast stats, and I have my XML feeds, which I have always used as a pretty primary means of actually identifying what's going on with any given podcast at any given time. But what's interesting is that the Apple stats disagree quite solidly from the stats on the RSS feed. So the RSS XML feed shows, you know, this percentage of folks from the US, this percentage of folks from the UK, this percentage of folks from Canada, China and Switzerland are in the top five, I think, or maybe top six. Whereas the iTunes stats show the US, Canada, the UK and Australia. Australia's also in the XML stats as well. So you have this kind of what do you believe through this or do you just believe nothing? And I'm at the stage where I just believe nothing now. I mean, for me, podcasts are more about communication, immediate community gratification. So knowing that people are are enjoying the podcast, getting feedback through that, but also just experiments. I mean, I think one of the things I found fascinating, particularly with Model Rail Radio, is it was an experiment from the get-go. And it was an experiment where I tried a variety of different bits and pieces, different techniques to try to utilize some stuff. And, you know, the experiments, some of them failed, some of them worked, um, but it was just a continuous set of experiments. And it's interesting, actually, we had on a gentleman who has an award series. He runs awards on YouTube. And he was remarkably successful this year in getting one of the prize winners of the awards to actively advertise his YouTube channel, um, which through four odd years, maybe three years of running the Berties, which were the Model Rail Radio Awards, I never received any promotion from the uh, winners. They just, you know, took the awards, put it on their shelves and kept on going. So I think increasingly there is a sense of a need for validation from not necessarily even old media, but, you know, getting new media validation into perspective with customers, I guess. So, I mean, this is a very curious thing with regards to how podcasts are changing in terms of respectability. So... Through all these things, I will maintain Model Rail Radio. I think I'm even going to try to maintain the every two weeks frequency and just see what comes through that. Because what I'm getting through Model Rail Radio currently is nurturing a community that I've worked on this year for 10 years. And it's provided a lot of interesting wonder, a lot of interesting information, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting people. And for that reason, I'm going to continue to maintain it. I'm also going to continue to maintain Noble Ape and a variety of the other things that I do on a regular basis, like Long Funk. But I think Model Rail Radio in particular has netted some really interesting data points and a wide variety of really nice friends as well.